Amen. Thank you all for being here this morning at Glenlock Baptist Church. We are grateful that you're here. I'm thankful that we have another opportunity just to uh, come together and praise the Lord together. Um, a few announcements before we get started. I just want to thank everyone once again for donating shoe boxes. We got a rough count on the way out the door the other day, and we brought in about 65 shoe boxes. Um, so that is, that is something to be thankful for. Some, there's going to be a lot of kids that are going to be very happy this year um, receiving those gifts. And so that, you guys have been a, bit, a big part of that. So we're thankful um, to you all for that. Also, just remember, as I mentioned last week, Christmas Eve service. Um, we're going to do two services, 530 and 7. Um, we're going to attempt to spread people out and all those types of things. If you want to be involved in that service with music or whatnot, uh, you can see uh, myself, you can see Catherine, and uh, we'll definitely get you plugged in somewhere um, for that service. That's always one of my, if not my favorite service of the year um, is Christmas Eve. Then next week, there's quite a few things happening. Um, next week, we will, Advent begins. As you can see, we went ahead and got decorated for Christmas um, and uh, Advent begins next week, but we're also going to finish the book of Habakkuk in the next couple of weeks. So Neil's going to be back next week. He'll combine those, and uh, it, it, it'll be really good. I pray that you'll continue to join us through the time of Advent. Also happening through the, through the time of Advent, Advent is the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So if you want to donate to that, we'll start taking that up next week. You can just uh, write a check and uh, designate it for Lottie Moon at the bottom, and we'll make sure that that gets put in the right place. Um, and then also next week we're going to have communion, um, so I pray, and I, I pray that you'll come be a part of that. And also next week at 5 p.m. is a deacon's meeting. So all of those things combined makes for a uh, busy next week, but we're excited that we get to uh, continue to do the Lord's work next week here. Um, Neil and his family are feeling a lot better. He'll, like I said, he'll be back next week. He wanted to thank you all for your prayers for, for them and, and, and the ways in which you reached out to them uh, during this, this long hiatus. Um, he's excited to be back next week. So any other prayer requests? I know that we want to continue to pray for Ronald Abner um, and his treatments and all that's going on there. Anybody else have any other prayer requests? Yes, sir. Her name was Royal. Okay. Okay. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Okay. Doris, Doris Bell family. All right. Well, we're going to pray, and then we're going to worship together. I'm going to ask uh, Mr. Sandy Wayne if, if he would uh, pray for us.
Good morning. If you'll stand, we're going to begin worship this morning with singing He Has Made Me Glad. With thanksgiving in my heart, I will enter his gods with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Mr. Terry's going to come up and speak to us real quick and give us a Nicaragua update.
the uh, uh, excuse me the uh, pictures speak for themselves. That's in an area where we as uh, we support a ministry there in Nicaragua, uh, Paul, which you saw uh, the name there on on the, on the film. Uh, that's where we put into the river. That's where we go down and start down the river. We know those people. We know that community. We know their needs. And we as a church has been helping them for, for several years and visiting there. And I look around. I, I see folks here who have been there. And uh, and, I, and we just, we're going to take a special offering in, in both services today to send help to uh, Ronnie uh, Hopkins, who is the missionary on foot there, and Ronnie being there in this river community, he he knows the community, he knows the people, he knows where the greatest needs are. So the funds that we're able to raise to help those people in this very devastating time for them uh, is uh, going to be put to very special use with a very specific need uh, there in in the river community where we already have a very strong presence and have spent a lot of hours there ministering. So just wanted you guys to have an opportunity to share, and we'll be sending that money uh, to Ronnie. Uh, it actually goes through Acts 1-8, uh, and then it's forwarded on to him to use there as he sees the best need. So if you would, pray about what God would have you to do. We'll have uh, two uh, gentlemen standing at the door as they leave today to make these donations. Let us pray. God, we thank you this morning that you give us the privilege of prayer to ask you. God, there's not, a, there, there's not a thing going on in Nicaragua right now with all the devastating that you don't know every detail. We thank you that you're an all-knowing God. And we pray, dear God, that you'd be with those families. You'd give them strength, help them, God, to, to find some encouragement uh, through all of this, especially in you. And thank you for Ronnie and his team, God, that would be there on foot helping to feed, to help, to rebuild. And, and thank you, God, for letting us be a part of that in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. We're going to continue worshiping this morning, and we're going to sing Count Your Blessings. Um, and I just wanted to read just a few things. Like I, on Friday, my bell work at school was, I teach sixth graders. Um, they had to log on, and they had to type in what they were thankful for. And I was kind of amazed this year because none of them typed one thing. You know, normally they type friends, family. Um, but I got really in-depth answers this year, and um, just reading you a couple, one of them said, um, sorry, it's crawled while I was man, I'm thankful for the roof that's over my head, the food that keeps me from being hungry, sleep, family, drinks, a dog and a cat, Jesus, and that I'm finally able to go to church again. Um, another one said, definitely being able to go to church, food and water, transportation, Technology that kept us together when we couldn't actually be together. Family, friends, and air conditioning. I guess my room was hot that day. I'm thankful for Jesus and for my family and for my home and the fact that we all got to be at school this long. Church, food, shelter, life, family, my dog, my cat, and everything I have that I don't have to have. This one said, I'm thankful that no one in my family has gotten sick, and I'm thankful for my house because I know some people don't have anywhere to live and some people have had a difficult year. I'm thankful that I have food and I get to eat and drink pretty much what I want because my parents are able to provide that. So I was just thinking, you know, like that's a lot for sixth graders to really be thinking. I mean, I really was expecting like dog, video games, 
Um, and all, like I teach 110 kids, and almost all of them wrote that much. So, you know, I think that's one of the good things we can take away from this year is I think we've, I know the younger generation, of course, and I, I just, that's who I've talked to. They've really learned a new meaning of being thankful. Um, and so with that, I encourage you as we go into Christmas and Christmas Eve, our families that we've not gotten back to church yet, you know, find one of them this week and reach out to them and let them know like, hey, we, we're distanced. We got lots of room and invite them to come back for the Christmas season, you know, as we start Advent or Christmas Eve service. Because, you know, I think we've only really got about half of our people coming back regularly. So let's reach out to them during Christmas and try to get them back here to worship and gather with us. And as we sing this morning, counting our blessings, let's think of, you know, kind of outside the box of all the things that this year's truly taught us to be thankful for. Will you stand and sing with us? start from the beginning.
Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26 is where we're going to be this morning in, in God's Word. Um, this week, I tried my very best to find a perfect Thanksgiving passage uh, for us to go over because I knew it was Thanksgiving time. I knew Thanksgiving was coming, and uh, I was searching and trying, and this it just wasn't for me this week, and it wasn't for us, I believe. So God has led me to this passage. And, and when I got here and I said, well, God, this doesn't really say Thanksgiving or anything like that, he was like, well, you should be thankful for every part of my word. And uh, so that's, that's, that's the, the, uh, the conviction that I got this week. So um, I'm thankful that God has led us here. Um, the past three weeks, I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed um, being able to preach for you all. I'm also very excited for Neil to be back next week um, because I'm not used to doing this every week, but um, I've, been, I've enjoyed it, and I hope that you have as well. Not just enjoyed it, but been convicted by it, been, um, been changed by it, by the way in which God has worked through this weird, weird circumstance. So um, Neil told me, he says, I don't know that I've ever missed three weeks in a row. And I said, don't ever do it again. And so... Um, um, we, we, but I'm excited that we get to finish out this time together this week. Um, and, it, and it's interesting the way that God has worked as well, because I feel like he's almost taken us through a, a mini-series of, of worship. Um, the, the first week, we talked about the reason we worship, and we looked at the woman who, who came to Jesus' feet because of the forgiveness that he'd given her. Last week, we talked about the way we worship in the church and the way that God is necessary in the way that we worship, preparing and participating and practicing. And this week, we're going to look at the way that, the way that we worship in everyday life, the way, that we, the, the way that we worship through all of circumstances. So as we look at Philippians 1, 12 through 26, I want us to, to, to go through it with a mindset of Jesus must increase. Jesus must increase. And that is, that is the heart of where we're going to go with this passage this morning. So when we, when we begin to look at the context of this passage, I feel like anytime we come in in the middle of a book, we need to understand where we're at, right, in the book. If we don't understand where we are, we can't understand the true meaning of the passage. So Paul is writing this letter um, from some sort of imprisonment, okay? We're not exactly 100% sure, but, but many people believe he's under house arrest in Rome, at this point, while he's writing this letter to the Philippian church, he's, he's literally in chains under house arrest, under Roman guard as he writes this letter to the Philippian church. So we understand that Paul's not writing this letter out of the easiest of situations, right? It's not, it's not, it's not very easy to be, to be joyful, right, and to be motivated in, in, in times of very, very large and, and, and heavy difficulty, but we also need to understand the culture of, of Philippi, and, and this was a prosperous city, and those who were citizens there were also dual citizens of Rome. Many of them were, were retired military men who had been given this land as a gift, and so they had a great allegiance to, to a kingdom on this earth. And that's important as we read this letter to understand both where Paul is writing from and who he's writing to. But I also think it's important for us to realize our own context, where are we coming from as readers of this letter? Look at the year that we've had. Think about you for yourself. What does this week look like for you? Because I feel like all of that's important in the way that God is going to show us, right, his word, not only the, the truth of it, but the application of it in your life. 
So I want us to think for a second, what, what is my context? Where have I been this week? What am I looking forward to? What does this year look like? How difficult has it been for me? And so in all of this, we, we, we come to better understand the passage and better understand where God is leading us through it. So all of that to say, let's read Philippians 1, 12 through 26. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition and not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue. Continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what Shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Lord, we are grateful for your word. We're thankful for the, for the circumstances of life that you give us. We're thankful for the relationships that you put into our, into our lives, Lord, that so we can glorify you and honor you in all that we do. And Lord, as, you, as you've done the last few weeks, Lord, I pray that you would just get me out of the way, Lord, that you would speak directly from your word to the hearts of, of, of the people here, Lord, that we would be prepared, Lord, to hear the message that you have for us. Lord, that we would take it in, and not only would it be more knowledge for us, Lord, but it would be a, a, a change in us, Lord, that it would make a change in the way that we live so that we can more glorify you in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. Jesus must increase. And so the first thing that we're going to look at is Jesus must increase through all circumstances. Jesus must increase through all circumstances. So not only is Paul a prisoner at this point, but his life has been turned upside down since Jesus got a hold of him. That's the Bryson way of saying what happened to Paul. That Jesus got a hold of him, right? On the road to Damascus, Jesus opened Paul's eyes to to the need that he had for the work of Jesus in his life. And so since that time, Paul has gone from a powerful man in the eyes of, of the Jews, a powerful man in Jerusalem, to a desperate, needy, servant of Jesus Christ. And I want you to look at some of the things that have happened in his life since then. In in, in Acts 9.23, shortly after Paul's conversion, there began a conspiracy to have Paul killed. The same Jews who once laid garments at his feet 
while, the, while they were stoning Stephen, now came up with ways in which to try to kill Paul. Acts 16, Paul and Silas, shortly after planting the church at Philippi, are arrested and put in prison for throwing a demon from a woman. Right, So he's in prison. Acts 19, Paul is caught in a riot for proclaiming the gospel at Ephesus. Acts 21, Paul arrested in Jerusalem, falsely charged with teaching against the Jewish law and bringing Gentiles into the temple. Attempts on his life there. Acts 27, Paul was in a shipwreck on the way to Rome for trial. In Acts 28, Paul is under house arrest. So Paul may be directly in talking about his imprisonment in Rome, but he has quite a few other things that he could add on to that that has happened to him at this point. So in my mind, and in the minds of you maybe, Paul would have every reason to be whining in this letter. I think about if I would have gone through all of those things, could I still have the joy and the spirit about me that Paul does that says, Jesus must still increase? When I originally made these notes, I put you and I in this section, but I marked out the you and, so this is just an I statement. I complain a lot about the little things. I often too easily lose my sense of purpose when difficulty emerges in my life. For example, I don't know about you all, but I love watching movies. And I like, them, I like watching movies now because you can watch them at home. I don't even have to go to the theater, right? I get to watch them at home. So, so a lot of times, Brooke and I, what we do for a, a date night or whatnot is spend the night at home watching a movie on the TV. And I, and, and I think about the purpose when that begins is I'm going to spend quality time with my wife. That's my purpose at the beginning of the movie. So we, we, we finally pick the, the, pick the movie, which takes about 45 minutes for us to finally decide what movie we're going to watch. And then we pop the popcorn, and we like to put M&Ms in our popcorn. So we get the M&Ms, and we put those in our popcorn, and we're, we're all ready, and we go to hit play, and the Wi-Fi's not, not working. Oh, that's the, first, that's the first step in a long downhill spiral for Bryson. So I go to try to fix the Wi-Fi, and I hit the reset button, and it doesn't work. So I call AT&T, and they say, did you hit the reset button? Right? That's their first instinct, and, and all of this happens. And by the time maybe I finally get the movie back to working, I have, I have totally lost my purpose for the night, and I have lost all my joy. I've lost all my, all my drive right, to spend time with my wife. And, and throughout the rest of the movie, all I can think is, man, am I frustrated about how hard it was to watch this movie. I no longer have in my mind and on my heart the beginning goal of quality time with my wife. It's no longer viable because I've allowed my circumstances to influence my goal. They have become a hindrance to, to the joy and, and, and to the goal that I had for myself and for my wife when this night began. And so what I want us to understand through that is if Paul's whole entire life was centered around his circumstances, there would be no way in which prison would be considered a tool to bring about his goal. If Paul's joy and Paul's heart was based on what happened to Paul, he could not be used to advance the gospel because he would have lost sight of his goal because of the, the hardship that has happened to him. But Paul explains in this letter that when our life's goal is for Jesus to increase, circumstances that we might consider a hindrance to this goal can actually be used by Jesus as a way to fulfill that goal. Paul is so focused on Christ and bringing glory to him that the chains he is enduring are not a hindrance to his mission, but they are actually a platform for it. 
And so that's what he says in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me, the shipwrecks and the imprisonments and the hardships and the, and the attacks, all of these things that the world says are hindrances to your mission to, know, to tell other people about Jesus have actually been used as a platform to advance the gospel. And so what we, what we see in this is Paul wants the Philippians to be encouraged by the fact that he doesn't view his current trials as a roadblock to his mission, but instead as a new route for his mission. And so he explains how that is in the, in the following verses. He says, as a prisoner, Paul would have been continuously surrounded by Roman guards. Right? They weren't going to let Paul get out of their sight. There would have been a, a continuous rotation of guards that would have come and, and come and went from Paul's presence. And the vast majority of these guards would have been unbelievers, many of which would have known very little of Jesus beyond the stories of his death. But Paul tells the Philippians that he doesn't look at these guards as enemies. He doesn't look at this prison as a place of despair, but instead he looks at the prison and the guards as a mission field. He says, as a result of my imprisonment, it has become clear that throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Jesus can transform our outlook through making the goal of our spirit kingdom work. If we allow Jesus to reorient our lives on him and him alone, you can take prison and you can take guards and you can take all of life's circumstances and instead of them being a hindrance to the mission that God has given you to make Jesus increase in the lives of ourselves and the lives of those around us, he can use those as a way in which to give us a new platform in which to glorify him forever. But only Jesus can do that work in you and I. When the kingdom of Jesus Christ is the most powerful motivator in your life, there is nothing that is without purpose. There is nothing that is without purpose when Jesus is at work in our lives. So Paul says it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard that I am in chains for Christ. Now there are two important distinctions that need to be made. One is that Paul is clear about his purpose. He isn't mumbling under his breath, right? Paul isn't sitting at his desk writing this letter saying, Oh, you know, Jesus, like we often do. He isn't being evasive, right? He, he, he isn't, quote-unquote, sucking up to the Roman guards and trying to get them to like him for a certain... He's saying, listen, I'm here for Jesus. And I hope that that's clear to you. He's clear that his goal in all of life, even within these chains, is to advance the gospel. Paul does not waste opportunities to have Jesus conversations. I often consider my own life when I'm, when I'm writing a sermon and, and my own relationships. And this week I wondered how many times have I been truly clear with those around me about the reason that I live my life. Do they truly understand the, the, the motivation of my life to make much of Jesus Christ? Unfortunately, there has been a number of times that I have most likely been very unclear of my most important mission. When it comes to glorifying Jesus and increasing his name, there is no room to be unclear. 
There is no time to be unclear. We make it clear whom we support in politics. We make it clear whom we support in, in, in sports. We make it clear who we support in restaurants. We must make it clear whom we live for in Jesus. C.S. Lewis says, and if you have the notes, I'm skipping down a little bit, but C.S. Lewis says, I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. They ask questions such as, isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmist in telling everyone to praise God are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God dependent on my absurdly denying to us as regards the supremely valuable, what we delight to do, what we indeed we can't help but doing, about everything else we value. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointment, appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how, much, how beautiful they are. The delight is in complete until it is expressed. And so what he's saying is not only do we praise the things that we praise, but we also want other people to praise those things. I mean, think about that for a second. I go eat at one restaurant. I tell everybody, you got to go, right? Not only do I, do I want to experience how good that steak was, but I want you to know how good it was too. I think about my wife when we first started dating. I, I knew from the very beginning that she was special, and I told all my friends, like, I'm dating this girl, and she's pretty awesome, right? I wanted them to know how awesome she was, not just because I loved her, but because part of my praise for her is wanting other people to know how good she is. I talk about my son, right? I love my son, and I want you to know I have the, mo I have the best son possible. Why is that? Because I love him. It's part of my praising him to, to urge you to like him too. So in our relationship with Jesus Christ, part of our praising him is wanting to urge other people, right, to praise him as well. So in our relationships, are we clear about our heart for Jesus. In, in, in our conversations on a daily basis, are we clear about our purpose in life to make much of Jesus, to, for Jesus to increase? Because Paul says, I'm in these chains and I got these Roman guards, but guess what? I'm clear about the fact that I am here for Jesus. So no matter the circumstances, our mission of making much of Jesus does not change. And that leads us to be clear about the reason that we live our lives. The second distinction we must make that he is, he is in chains for Christ. Paul is not blaming Jesus for his circumstance. He's not, he's not, he's not saying, I'm here because of, of, because of Christ. right? He's not saying, well, if, if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't be in these chains. He says, I get to be in these chains, and I get to go through the, these circumstances, and I get to do them for him, for Christ. Oftentimes, I think we say, I'm stuck in this job. Right? But Jesus says, no, you're in this job for me. Right? Don't be stuck in a certain place. See the mission in that place. And so it's also important for us to note that Paul's faithfulness to Jesus has not only led to the prison guard ministry, but it has encouraged other believers to confidently praise Jesus without fear. 
God is using Paul's chains as a way to show other believers that Jesus must increase no matter the circumstances. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we allow God to show us his goodness and faithfulness, we begin to be more and more satisfied in him. And the things of the world can't take away that satisfaction. We can't help that in every circumstance we want others to know about how good Jesus is. So Jesus must increase in all of life's circumstances. Secondly, Jesus must increase in spite of personal gain. Jesus must increase in spite of personal gain. In, in verse 15, Paul then brings to the reader's attention that although many people have been emboldened by his circumstances to preach the gospel, not everyone is doing so from right motives. Paul describes two distinct motives, a group who preached the gospel out of envy and, and, and rivalry and a group that preached the gospel out of goodwill. So Paul's urgency for Jesus to be made known brings out others to preach, but some do so in respect to Paul and others out of rivalry with Paul. I, I mean, we can apply this to other aspects of life. What, where my mind immediately goes is athletics, right? But if some great athlete all of a sudden comes on the scene, there's usually two responses to that. One is, I want to play with him, right? I want to be on his team. And the other is, I want to play against him. Right? I, want to, I want him to know who's boss. Right? I want him to know that he's not that great. Right? So oftentimes there's these two reactions to when somebody new comes on the scene. It's either I want to join them or I want to beat them. And so that's, the, that's what's happening here is Paul is, is, is writing these, these letters from, from Roman imprisonment. And, and people in Rome are beginning to know Paul's name. They know that he's in chains for Jesus. And so within the church in Rome, there's two reactions that are taking place. I want to, I want to be like him, right? I want, to, I want to have what he has. Or who does he think he is, right? Who, do, who does Paul think he is? I, I want to be the one preaching to the people. I want to be the one in name recognition, the group that preached out of goodwill saw Paul as an ally and as an example of what the Christian is. They recognized Paul and the power of the Holy Spirit at work. They saw the truth of James 1, 2 through 4 in Paul's life that says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking Anything. So out of this came an increased sense of confidence in their purpose of making Jesus known more and more. Paul was an encouragement to them to preach, to advance the gospel. But the second group, the second group is described as taking an opposite approach, and they saw the popularity of Paul as a challenge to be taken on. Now maybe these men were, were once... Um, once high up in the, in the church in Rome, and when the persecution came, they began to sink back, right? And, and Paul's preaching has brought them back into, into the fold of things. But one thing we need to, to, to establish before we get too far in this is that this group that Paul described as preaching Christ out of selfish ambition and insinc insincerity were in rivalry, rivalry with Paul, not the gospel, okay? So we need to, to make it very clear that these pre people weren't preaching non-truth. Right? They weren't falsely preaching the name of Jesus. They were preaching his death, his resurrection. Right? They, they were preaching salvation in Jesus, but their heart behind the preaching was, was, was against Paul. Does that make sense? So let, let, let us not say that Paul was condoning preaching false doctrine. 
right? That's not the case. What Paul was, what Paul was saying is, listen, these people are preaching out of a heart against me, but they are preaching truth. We need, to, we need to make sure we understand that before we get too far in this. They were preaching what was true, but they were preaching out of rivalry with Paul instead of working together with Paul to glorify Jesus. That's what we need to understand. So perhaps these men had taken a step back when persecution came. Perhaps, perhaps they were um, people who had followed Paul to Rome. Whatever the case, the main point I want us to see in all of this comes in verse 18. Because Paul states, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. That is what we need to get from these set of verses that some people preached him out of selfish ambition. Some people preached him out of, out of love for Paul and goodwill. But, but Paul says it does not matter. What matters is the fact that Jesus is proclaimed no matter what. I think about high school and going to FCA and, and, and sitting around with people that I knew were probably there for the wrong reasons. And making, that, that making me upset, right, and making me mad. But Jesus says, listen. What's good is that they're there and they're hearing my truth and I can work through them, right? Don't, don't, don't put into a box who I can work through. If another youth group in the area all of a sudden booms and they got 150 kids coming on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, my response should be hallelujah. That Jesus is increasing somewhere. When I go to FCA, at the schools now as, as, a, as a teacher, right? And they always say, so where do you preach? Or where do you teach? I say, well, I'm at Glenlock, but also know that First Baptist Franklin's just down the road. You can walk there. Why is that? Because it's not about personal gain through which we, through which we glorify God. It's about glorifying God, right? It's about Jesus' gain. And so in our lives and in the life of Paul, he says, no matter the medium through which it comes, the importance is the message, we may see and understand that Jesus and his message and his life and his salvation is more important than our own personal gain. Paul could not have this attitude if Paul's ministry was about Paul. If Paul's ministry was Paul-focused, he could not say this genuinely. But Paul's ministry was, was about others knowing Jesus and all his glory was about knowing Jesus and his abundance of love, about knowing Jesus and his unrepeatable perfection. It was about making Jesus increase. Matthew 5, 16, it puts this into an example for us, and it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Being the light of the world and the salt of the earth has nothing to do with you and I being glorified and everything to do about people seeing us glorifying God and wanting to be that as well. In my, in my office, there's a, a sign that Brooke printed off for me that says, do people leave your presence glorifying you or do they leave your presence glorifying God? It also, there's another one that, that fits into this well, but it says, are you using God for your ministry or is he using you for his? As a church, as a people, we must know and understand that far above ourselves is the message of Jesus. Far above ourselves is the gospel of salvation. Far above ourselves 
is the growth of Jesus and his church. So if our church isn't growing, but the church down the road is, guess what? It's okay because Jesus is being increased. Now, do I want our church to grow? Of course I do. Do I want to see more people here on Sunday mornings? Of course I do. But I want them here because we are, 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 are preaching and teaching Jesus. Jesus must increase in spite of personal gain. And that is what Paul preaches through this section. He says, I will rejoice. I will rejoice no matter what because Jesus is being preached. Oswald Chambers says, never water down the word of God, but preach it in its undiluted sternness. There must be unflinching faithfulness to the word of God, but when you come to personal dealings with others, remember who you are. You are not some special being created in heaven, but a sinner saved by grace. We must allow Jesus to increase in our lives in spite of personal gain. And finally, we must, Jesus must increase in our lives in view of eternity. In view of eternity. Paul finishes this section pointing towards the future. He says that he will continue to rejoice in knowing that the prayers of the Philippians, along with the work of the Holy Spirit, will lead to his deliverance. And as he speaks of this deliverance, it culminates into probably the, 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 um, the verse or the, or the quote that is most known from the book of Philippians. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I've heard that many times within my life. I've heard it preached and taught and, and, and talked about. Paul knows that Jesus is using him as a vessel through which to further advance the gospel. Paul lives the verses of Romans 12 that say, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So Paul knows and understands that Jesus must increase in, in, in his life. But all of this will ultimately be fulfilled in eternity. And so what I want us to see and understand is that for, for Paul and for us as believers, to live is Christ and to die is gain because we know that the culmination of our work here on earth is, is forever with him in heaven. So why is it we are to live and desire to have more and more of Jesus at work in our lives? Is because it gives us a little taste of what, how amazing heaven will be. Colossians 3 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So for Paul and for all believers, the mindset must be to live as Christ. What does this look like? It looks like verses 24 through 26 where Paul says, It is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. We pursue discipleship, and we pursue to, to have more and more of the Spirit of God at work in us, and we pursue to have more of the Spirit of God in our relationships and in our marriages and in our families. We want God to increase ever the more in our lives because we know that that is a taste of what we will get to experience for eternity in heaven. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, so I wish to be there with him, but if I'm not there with him, I want to be with him here. 
I want him to increase in my life here. I want to strain forward towards him here. I think a lot of the times about what we think of heaven, and people have different descriptions of what it will be like. I remember growing up in Sunday school and people talking about streets of gold and all of the different things, sitting at the Lord's table, and, and I'm not here to tell you what heaven will be like, what it will look like. I do not have those revelations. But what I can tell you is the best part of heaven is Jesus is there. Jesus is there. Think about the songs that we sing about heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. And so whether you, whatever you think heaven is, know that it's only good because Jesus is there. The Jesus that died for your sins. The Jesus that empowers you to continue to live through his spirit. The Jesus who's given your life purpose and meaning. The Jesus who must increase. He is the one in heaven. He is the one on the throne. So why do I want to increase in him here? Because it's given me a little, a little taste of how good it's going to be when I'm in his presence forever. Jesus has given us that ability through his Holy Spirit. The more and more I get to experience Jesus here now, the more and more I look forward to being with him completely in heaven. So the increase of Jesus in our lives now ought to lead us to have a view of eternity, a view of what it's going to be like with him forever. I mean, Philippians 3, later on, in the book, Paul says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The only example that I could come up with as I was preparing for this is, I mean, I want you to look around for a second and, uh, and see all that we did in the past week. We got Christmas trees, we got Advent candles, we've got wreaths, it looks great. You know, whoever, was, I wasn't here, sorry, but whoever did this, it looks amazing. I, I drove home on Highway 27 and I see lights going up and, you know, Brooke's ready to start singing Christmas music and all of those different things. And we actually, this year is earlier than we've ever turned on Christmas music. We're usually after Thanksgiving people. But why do we do all of these things? Why do we do all of these things? Is it because we want to celebrate the Christmas tree? No. Is it because we want to celebrate the Christmas music? No. It's because we, we look forward to what? Christmas Day. We look forward to waking up on Christmas morning, being with our family, the experience that that is. So all of this lends us to think, the reason that we decorate and the reason we do all these things is because we want a little taste of what Christmas Day is going to be like. So in our lives, we ought to decorate our lives with Jesus. We ought to want to have him as, as, be a part of every part of our lives because it is in that that we get to experience and look forward to what heaven will be like, what eternity will be like. To live right now is Jesus, but to die is gain because that's forever with him. That's the culmination of the life that we've spent as his disciples. And so as we close this morning, I want us to see and understand that this year has been hard. 
There's been circumstances that many of us have gone through this year that we've never gone through before. There's been times in which that we've probably been more down than we've ever been before. Where We've wondered more so, how can Jesus increase now than ever before? But I'm here to tell you that sometimes in the worst of, worst of circumstances is when Jesus is most glorified. In our lives, if we will allow him to have us completely focused on his mission and his glory, then all of the circumstances that we've gone through will have a purpose for bringing about his glory for bringing about his worship. And so in our, in our lives as believers, Jesus must increase. In spite of the circumstances, in spite of personal gain, and with a view of eternity, Jesus must increase. And I pray that that's what we know and believe as we leave here this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time that we get to spend together just worshiping you and glorifying you, Lord. I just thank you for your word and, and the truth that it is. Lord, I, um, I think about the ways in your life, Lord, that I've missed opportunities to glorify you, that I've missed opportunities to glorify you because of my circumstances or because of my pride, whatever it may be, Lord. I pray that you would make it abundantly clear to each of us, Lord, that as we leave this place, there are going to be ups and downs and there's going to be times of difficulty, Lord, but in those times of difficulty, we can make you known. Lord, I pray for revival within our church, within the, the, the area within the county, Lord, within the United States, wherever we may be, wherever we may look, Lord, I pray that you would be greatly known and greatly loved and greatly glorified. As we sing together, Lord, I pray that you just put on the hearts those who need to, to come forward, Lord, just to, uh, to have conversations or to pray at the altar, whatever it may be, Lord, that you would continue to work in our lives as we leave here this morning. In your name we pray, amen.
Sunday school happening now um, at 10 o'clock in the youth building. And also, there will be no uh, evening services tonight or Wednesday night. So, because of the Thanksgiving and all that's happening then. Any other announcements before we head out? Yeah, we, we can get it and make sure we get it down there. So, yeah, don't forget about that. We've got, I think we have quite a few that's come in. So, we're thankful for that as well. Um, all right. Catherine, lead us as we close. Yeah, we'll with a doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly Have a great week. Don't forget Mr. Terry in the back with Nicaragua offering.
Sometimes on this journey, I get lost in my mistakes. What looks to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength. And my story isn't over, my story's just begun. And failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does. Yeah, failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does.
The sparrow's not worried about tomorrow or the troubles to come. The lily's not thinking about the seasons, the drought or the flood. The tree that's planted by the water isn't phased by the fire. So why should I be? Cause you take good care of me. The sun's not worried about the winter, cause soon it will pass. The light's not thinking about the darkness or the shadow it cast. A heart that's planted in forgiveness doesn't dwell in the past. So why should I be? Cause you take good Your kind.